This episode of the Resourceful HDR podcast was recorded via Zoom, so I apologise for any sound issues. My guest today on the Resourceful HDR podcast is Dr Cameron Ferris, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Inventure Life Science, a fast-growing Sydney startup advancing 3D bioprinting technology to revolutionise medical research and regenerative medicine. Cameron completed a PhD in bioprinting at the University of Wollongong, where he developed a passion for taking research out of the lab and to market. He worked in innovation consulting with Ernst & Young, as well as in life science investments, before coming full circle to help lead in venture. Cameron feels that he is privileged to work with a dynamic team of scientists and engineers enabling InVenture to take this exciting Australian-born technology to the global stage. Thanks for joining me today, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Sally. It's great to be with you. So my first question to you is, what led you to choose to enrol in a PhD? Uh, to be honest, I think I kind of fell into it, Sally, or, or at least it wasn't a decision I made based on having a really kind of clear idea of a future career path. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the sciences at school, and so I chose to study a science degree at uni, and then I really enjoyed doing research during my honours year at uni. Um, so kind of decided off the back of that to continue on and, and do a PhD. And, um, you know, I know many of my peers during the PhD felt the same way. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't based on having a clear picture of, of a career. It just uh, yeah, fell off the back of honours. As you were doing the PhD, were there career plans that emerged? And then how did they change over the time of your candidature? Yeah, so no, no clear career plans at all, although, of course, I was interested in a career in research, um, of course, which really led me to decide to undertake the PhD. And I think over time, during my PhD candidature, it confirmed that I really loved the process of research but probably also highlighted to me that I wanted something a little different to an academic career. So I, I was really fortunate to be part of a lab that had a really strong focus on commercialization and industry engagement. And I definitely got that bug. I developed a passion for the challenge of taking research out of the lab and, and into the market. And it was probably towards the end of my PhD, I realized that if I was going to learn to do that well, to get research out of the lab and to the market that I really wanted to learn from, from the other side of that, that divide. So post-PhD, I took a bit of a, a leap of faith into a, a role with a big four consulting firm with Ernst & Young, um, which is a real step outside of academia. And my, my career journey since then has been kind of a really fortuitous path. It's taking me through consulting and in life science investments and all the way back now to running InVenture, which um, fast-growing startup company, and it's advancing, of course, the very, the very technology that I worked on in my PhD. So it's really come full circle, and um, I definitely couldn't be doing what I'm doing now without the learnings that I had uh, along that path. Okay, so you've had experience within higher ed, as you said, before you went out with EY as one of the big four consulting firms in the world. And as well as your current role in this startup in Venture Life Sciences. So, what's your own view of how PhD holders are viewed in other employment sectors? Yeah, I've, I've found in all sectors that I've worked in that PhDs are viewed really highly. And I think that's probably true for any knowledge based industry where, you know, the intellect of a PhD, but also the skills developed during a PhD program are really highly valued. At EY, for example, uh, we placed a, a really high value on PhDs during hiring. 
because we knew they would have the ability to really quickly understand and evaluate the, the R&D work being conducted by our clients, which were across a multitude of industries from you know, startups through to multinationals and, and uh, then deal with that information really critically and, and quickly. And you know, when I was doing my PhD, I wasn't even aware that roles like that with a, a company like EY existed before I worked there. So I think that kind of highlights the, the importance of engaging with other industries as much as possible and exploring my, what might be a good fit for you. I guess you, you never know what's out there. But I've, I've found the exact same thing now uh, with InVenture, for example, where I think the majority of our team are PhDs. We're, of course, working with really complex technology and we've got PhDs from engineering to biological sciences to computer science. I think all in all, in all there's so many increasingly complex challenges to solve in the world today and i think the the skill set of a phd has never been more relevant to, to be honest so um, i think if anything phds probably undersell themselves or, or um or don't recognize the skills that they have and, and how valuable they are so what do you think those skills are you mentioned obviously that they understand research very well what are the other things that you see are particularly transferable yeah, I think it's it's funny, often I hear in conversations about the PhD program, this need to introduce soft skills into into a PhD. And well, I think there's there's some element of truth in that. But I think all in all, there's an incredible array of soft skills that you develop during a PhD, you know, communication skills across uh, written and oral communication, teamwork, project management, resource planning, you know, people skills, all that is such a critical part of doing research in a modern research environment. And they're all um, soft skills that are really translatable into, into industry. And so do you think the PhD is equipping them with a lot of things, but it's about recognising it and translating it for a different audience? Yeah, that's right. I think that is the, the missing piece because the skills are all there. I think uh, if anything, the missing piece is that because a, a PhD is by nature so laser focused on a, a small area of research, um, I think the PhD program really should counterbalance that by encouraging experiences that lift the thinking horizon a little bit out of that narrow area and into um, the broader implications of, of that work and what the real challenges are in, in industry and in the world. Um, I, I think experiences like internships are a fantastic way to do that uh, we've had a great experience here at InVenture getting PhD interns through an organization called APR intern and they spend time with us they see how their work applies to real problems that we and our customers are facing and it's a great experience for us but also obviously fantastic learning for the PhD candidate I heard the phrase the other day Sally about how many industries require t-shaped people so uh, um, where t-shaped people have really deep expertise in one area but then broad knowledge ac across um, a range of applications and i think that's what the phd program could really encourage obviously that deep expertise comes but lifting the horizon into the, the breadth of, of the t would be great yeah i've also heard that expression with t-shaped being used to describe the need for phd candidates to have breadth as well as depth and as you say some of the broader skills are being developed although there needs to be more focus on helping the HDR candidates to understand and translate the value of these skills and strengths and I also think we need to look where the gaps are and to reshape the perception of PhDs by employers and even by universities and research supervisors.
Do you feel that the PhD could be improved to meet the needs of other employment sectors while maintaining, obviously, the quality of research training programs? Yeah, I think there's some some small things that could be done to, to tweak the PhD program, things that do uh, lift that thinking horizon a little bit. And I think experiential things like internships in industry are, are one great way to do that. I think there's there's such a focus now too on research translation and commercialization that I think some basic learning around the processes of translation and industry engagement are really key. As a, Of course, as a quick caveat to that, I think the a focus on basic foundational science is still so critical as well. So there are a couple of things. And then I think the perception of a PhD student as well and just the need to take a real research and curiosity mindset to a potential future career is important as well. You know, PhDs are great at researching and finding the answers to those questions based on their scientific curiosity. And I think the same approach can be taken to a career. You know, if you as a PhD student were to reach out to any industry that you even had an inkling of interest in and um, try and connect with someone to learn more about that industry and how your skills might apply, I think there'd be very few people that would would say no to that coffee and chat. So I think it's just encouraging uh, PhD students to to do that uh, confidently. I agree. And, you know, the point you've made about curiosity, I think, is a really critical skill that PhDs bring and I think they need to maintain that curiosity uh, and, and it fits in really with you know the zeitgeist of design thinking which you know basically is empathise, define problem, ideate, prototype and test. PhDs are very good problem solvers but they're also very good problem finders so that the organisation isn't solving the wrong problem. So you've had this experience. How do you see that your PhD has equipped you in your current role as the Chief Operating Officer of Venture and your previous role with EY? Yeah, I think um, you're right in that that approach to finding problems and then solving problems is a core part of the PhD. I think it's often just applied in, in a slightly different context, right? I think if in most PhD programs, when you start framing the problem, uh, the main way that you do that is looking at other you know, introductions to research papers and, or research reviews. And you know, I think it's about framing the problem by really engaging with customers and, and people uh, who have real-world problems that need to be solved. And I think that gives a much clearer and more precise picture of, of how what you're working on relates to real-world impact. But yeah, coming to your, your question, Sally, I think my PhD really equipped me very well for the, those roles, um, certainly with many of the core skills. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, like critically evaluating, presenting information and project management and resource planning, that all come in to a PhD. But I think too, the, the, my working style has certainly needed to change and adapt to the different roles. And I think that happens naturally as you engage with the challenges of, of any new role. I think one of the key differences is, of course, time horizon. A PhD is quite a long time. There's a lot to achieve in that time. Um, but it also gives you space to really thoroughly explore and evaluate options and plan work. And in, in many industry contexts, that time's often just not available, right? <laughs> um, and I actually found it really refreshing when I first started at EY that I could start and finish a project within a few weeks, right? which is obviously very different to the long-term challenge of, of a PhD. But you know, adapting to that does take time. I think one of the other big adjustments related to that is the need to make 
decisions before really having all the information. I think you know, often as scientists, uh, we can tend towards uh, perfectionism and needing to, to know all the answers before we move and uh, often adjusting to the speed of particularly uh, working in a startup like Invention Now means sometimes sacrificing that desire, that real burning desire to find out the last 20% of information so that you can keep progress moving. I'm just curious too that if you had that capacity to dive deep into a problem, really research it and understand the breadth of it as well, and then having to you know, work in a more dynamic, fast-paced environment, do you feel that being able to put the two together has improved your style over time? Yeah, I certainly think the meshing of those two needs has really, really refined my decision-making skills uh, because often you do need to do those two things simultaneously, really delve into a problem to understand as much about it as you possibly can, but then recognize the point at which you have enough information to make a decision. And I think balancing those two things is so critical to the decision-making process. And um, yeah, I'm still very much learning about that. <laughs> um, but I think it, um, I am getting getting better slowly, yeah. Well, working in a startup, I imagine, is forcing you to do that fairly quickly. Working in those environments, it has many challenges. The PhD often is said to be similar to a, a startup. Of course, that speed aspect and the high level of financial risk is not there. But in a previous conversation, you said that you see yourself as more enterprising and entrepreneurial. Can you talk about how you see the difference between those two terms and what advice would you give to the current PhD candidates if they're considering exploring opportunities in the startup sector? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, running a startup is certainly a, a massive roller coaster, um, but and, and so is a PhD. So there, there's certainly many similarities. I think everything in a startup about running a startup is research, right? Everything is experimenting uh, because it's never de- been done before uh, and you're building it from scratch. So very similar to a PhD in that sense. In, you know, in both cases, there's the driver to find new information and to solve complex challenges using the research process. So, you know, those were the things that really drew me to the world of startups, you know, solving those complex challenges that would make a real difference to quality of life and being really creative with how that's done. So I guess that's the kind of enterprising nature uh, that you're talking about that attracted me to startups. But yeah, I, as, as I've said to you before, Sally, I'm not the, the typical entrepreneur. I've always been really passionate and interested in startups, but I'm naturally not a, a risk taker. I don't, I don't have that innate entrepreneurial risk taking flair to just, you know, throw caution into the wind. Um, it, it's not in me. Also really practical things to consider when I consider the startup world, you know, I've got a family, I've got three young kids. I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, remortgage my house to put it all on the line for run a startup. So I think it's really important to recognize those things um, and not force yourself to be something you're not. You know, I think the the archetype of the entrepreneur gets really celebrated in today's day and age. And I think there's a lot of kind of push to, to try and be that. But if, if, if you're not that, <laughs> it's impossible to force yourself to be that. So, so I, look, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to work with Dr. Julia Ribeiro, who's the founder of InVenture and, and the true entrepreneur who will uh, really take risks and has a has great entrepreneurial risk-taking ability. And, and I I get to you know work with him and the rest of the team and bring my skill set and still be involved in this fast-growing startup 
with, without, you know, having to pretend that I'm that archetypal entrepreneur. So that's been fantastic. But, and, you know, but yes, my, you know, being involved running this startup, my relationship with risk and failure has, has certainly needed to, to change. So. And probably a good thing because this is the world we live in, really. It's much more dynamic than it's ever been before. Yeah, that's right. Being able to cope with uncertainty is difficult for perfectionists. So what's your view of perfectionism and how do you manage a balance in your life as the chief operating officer of a startup enterprise? Yeah, um, really good question. And I am a perfectionist. Um, I think many, many scientists are. But I'm, I'm learning about how to kind of control that, learning slowly. You know, there's, there are good things that come from that attention to detail and, and uh, perfectionist urge, but certainly many pitfalls as well. And I'm, I'm learning that perfectionism is often the enemy of progress. And that's a phrase that has often stuck in my mind. And so I think it's really imp- important to control that perfectionist urge um, so that it doesn't come at the expense of real progress. And I think really closely related to that is our relationship with risk and failure. So, uh, you know, I think true innovation, uh, any true innovation is always messy and it's always unknown. And so developing that healthy relationship with the unknown and with risk and with the potential for failure is um, really critical for innovation and certainly critical for running a startup. In terms of how to manage that in my life, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> so, but no, I've, I've, I've found it, it is really important to, I guess, separate me as a person from from the business you know and know that if the business was to fail which you know i'm sure in venture won't it's uh, it's going great at the moment but you know it's always possible in the world of startups uh that if the business was to fail that i'm personally not a failure and that process of learning from the failure is perhaps one of the most valuable things that you can receive so. that's excellent advice and sounds like yeah you're continuing to grow in that area Mm. And so what do you see as your main drivers? What do you need in your work to feel fulfilled? And how do your values and strengths inform your decision-making? I guess from those questions are really around trying to get people to think about what elements of work they need rather than a job title. Yeah, great question, Sally. And I think for me, it's really important to have a purpose to work that goes beyond personal achievement or financial success. Um, I think that's really important to me. And I think that goes for most people. I think all of us want a purpose for what we're doing day to day. And for me at, at InVenture, that comes, of course, from the technology that we're building, uh, which will accelerate research in areas like cancer drug discovery and make a real difference to people's lives, um, which is is one really important aspect. But I think it also comes to from the people that I get to work with. So coming to work every day with a great group of people who are aligned to make our customers successful, but also to make each other successful in the team and to make work an enjoyable place is really, really rewarding. And for us as a exec team to ensure that our staff have a really healthy work-life balance is so core to, to what we're doing. And, and I think those kind of values drive all our decision making it's actually it's something that we really see as a critical part of our culture and everything we do at InVenture that that people come come before everything whether that be the customer that we're servicing or the patient's lives who we're hoping to impact or importantly the team the people that we're working with day to day that 
you know, th- those people come, come above all. And I, I think that really brings fulfillment uh, to work because, it, you know, it brings meaning to what, to what you're doing day in, day out. And it certainly helps when you're doing it with a, a great group of people. Certainly makes all the difference. Cameron, could you tell us a little bit more about InVenture? What's the purpose and also what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, sure, Sally. So InVenture's um, developed a 3D bioprinting platform that's revolutionising biomedical research and regenerative medicine. So many of you listeners might be familiar with 3D bioprinting and the potential it holds in the long term develop printed tissues or organs for transplant using a patient's own cells. There's certainly been a lot of hype around that, you know, printing organs for transplant. And we do believe in a future where that might be possible. But as a business, we saw the real need today for engineering biology in the lab. So what our platform does is use bioprinting to create models of cancer and other disease to really accelerate drug discovery and fundamental biomedical research. So we sell a bioprinting platform into uh, medical research institutes, pharma and biotech companies to really accelerate the process of drug discovery and drug screening and biomedical research by using the automation and reproducibility that comes from creating little mini tissues using a bioprinted approach. So we're currently selling that platform. We're expanding uh, really quickly. We have uh, a team of 30-odd now here in Sydney, and we're in the process of opening offices in the US and Europe. Um, And we're also working on many long-term programs. We have collaborations with many universities and research institutes here in Australia, advancing longer-term applications of our technology in clinical fields like personalized medicine and also printing tissues like skin for, for regenerative medicine. Yeah, I can see why you have found great purpose in that work. It certainly will, as you say, revolutionise uh, research. As you mentioned, been involved in the APR intern program. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How did you choose those PhDs and what value did they bring during their internship? Yeah, so APR Intern is a non-profit organisation in Australia that runs an industry-linked PhD intern program. So we've had several interns through this program who spend three to five months uh, here in our labs as part of the InVenture team, but working on a project. Often, but not always, that's linked to some of the research they've been doing in their PhD. We found it an incredibly rewarding program, both for us as a business and also for the PhD students. You know, for us, we get to work with some really smart students to solve some of some problems that are critical to us as a business. We get other benefits like um, engagement with that student's a supervisor and, and research team and university is part of that engagement. Um, and for us, it's a really great way to you know work with students who we might then offer a job to in the future as well. So that's been great for us. And then we found for the students, it's it's been an incredibly rewarding experience, if I can speak on their behalf, <laughs> um, but to, to get the opportunity to, to work, uh, to be embedded in, in our team and to get that experience of what research is like, but in a very different context, in a, in a fast-paced, fast-growing startup. Um, so, yeah, all in all, uh, we found it a, a great program. Well, after all, I first met you when you were on an APR intern panel organised by my colleague, Catherine Ennis. And I remember that David Handler, the Macquarie PhD intern placed with InVenture, was full of praise for you and the company. Yeah, so we've we've had an intern from Macquarie, um, David Handler, and he's been a great case in point for the value of an internship like this. 
David did his PhD in a quite a different field uh, to us. So he was using kind of machine learning and data analysis approaches to proteomics data for plant studies, I believe. And, you know, he's now working with us on um, some high throughput image analysis work. So taking some of that core data analysis and machine learning expertise, but applying it to a very, very different challenge. Um, and I know uh, he's loving loving the process and, and we're loving having him as a part of the team. Well, let's hope there's more of that to come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me today, Cameron. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, it's been great. Thanks for having me, Sally.